0: Let's ask God to be with us. Lord, we have read your word and we have heard your word given to us in scripture today. And Father, we pray that you would accompany your word with your blessing. Father, we ask that you'd help us to be attentive and to be thoughtful and engaging we love you, and we ask that we could increase in our grasp of what are the issues we are facing as, as individuals, as a church. What are we up against, and what have you given us as believers to, to grow and to, and to flourish? And so we ask these things in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we hear the Apostle Paul state his, real, his core reason for writing this epistle. And it's right there in the very first lines of, of verse 12. And listen to this, verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience. Listen to that. That we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly Sincerity not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. Okay, so we're going to unpack that, and we're going to look for a moment at this idea of grace and worldly wisdom. The problem at Corinth was worldly wisdom. Now, I want to take a short excursion to another part of the Bible to explain earthly wisdom. John's Gospel, chapter 1, highlights that Christ is the light of the world that enlightens every man, John chapter 1. John tells us that Jesus came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. John, the disciple who walked with Jesus, now being led by the Spirit to record Scripture, observes the responses of people to Jesus. Chapter 1 of John's Gospel. His was a life that was rejected, even by his own people. John calls him in verse 9, the true light, the true light. John says in verse 4 that in him was life and the life was the light of men. I love that, the combination of life and light combined together. And yet he was rejected. In him was the life and light of men and yet he was rejected. Do you think that your life apart from Christ is devoid of true light and life? As people encountered Jesus, they got a sense of what he was really saying. They will not have life. They will not have light unless they come to him. And he was rejected. John, chapter 1, goes on in verse 16. Listen to this. Of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So he brings Light, life, and fullness. Imagine, again, the impression people would have. You mean if I don't receive you, bow the knee of my life to you, I won't have fullness in life? They got the right impression. Now, Paul is saying, "Uh, I'm motivated... Surely, by the grace of God, only by the grace of God. That's my motivation. And it looks like, and I'm going to explore this word simplicity in our English Standard Version. Simplicity is there for you. Uh, It looks like simplicity and sincerity. That's what the grace of God looks like in Paul's life. Now, the Corinthians have engaged in earthly wisdom, they have begun to, it's right there in verse 12, rather than earthly wisdom. Now, Paul has many, many, perhaps two dozen subjects illustrating how the Corinthians have engaged in earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom does this. It folds the arms and it says, what can this do for me? And what can this apostle Paul do for us You know, when we think about him, he seems weak. He doesn't really seem that effective. He's always struggling, and he always looks like death warmed over. He's always getting beaten up. He's all, I mean, and in the ancient world, it's interesting. If you were a philosopher, you would be trying to tell people what life's about. You would be telling them about the good life, right? What what people should pursue, right? What's reasonable. Philosophy loves reason. So in the ancient world, if someone is spouting off about what you should pursue, here's what would happen. Well, is it happening in you? I mean, you're telling us about this life we're supposed to have. Is it happening in you? Is the good life happening in you? And, of course, if there's a dis- disparity, if there's a gap, right? right, uh, If someone was telling us uh, in a book how to be wealthy and they weren't wealthy, we would say, uh... Hmm, right? It's the old idea, never trust a skinny chef, right? So if there's a gap between what you say and who you are, and of course the standard is achievement, shine, glory, life's working for you, you're being blessed in some way. The Corinthians want to be someone, want to be something. For a moment in my life, a day in my life in college, I was um, a host for Elizabeth Elliott, who's, uh, I don't know how to describe her, she's a a renowned author, uh, beautiful person, uh, suffered greatly in her life, lost her husband, her first husband, on the mission field uh, in South America. Elizabeth Elliott, um, I I would go around to different classes and introduce her. And uh, I remember one of the question-and-answer sessions, um, one, one young girl was quite taken with the idea that Elizabeth Elliot was a worldwide-renowned conference speaker. And um, she asked, this young girl asked, how she could become a conference speaker. <laughs> and um, it's, it's sort of like something you don't really aspire to. Uh, and I remember Elizabeth Elliot said that that's actually not the goal of life. <laughs> Um, it's not really something you aspire to do, and uh, but it looked it looked good, doesn't it? it? Look, it would look good if you had achieved the status of being some sort of conference speaker. You'd become someone, right? Well, that's a little, it's like kind of a soft, earthly wisdom to become someone. And Paul essentially says, "What you have in us is this: you have brutal honesty. We're not hiding." We're not putting on a pretense. We don't have an angle. We're sincere. And the word here for simplicity in our in our Bibles, some translations translate it holiness. And it actually has the idea of wholeness or soundness. Like when a person is of sound mind, if they're going to sign an important document, you've got to prove you're a sound mind somehow, right? So, So it's the idea that there's nothing in me that's, I'm not. I'm not uh, duplicitous. Uh, I am. It's. It's a. There's a wholeness about me. So let's tie all this together. Worldly wisdom evaluated Jesus. Worldly wisdom. What can he do for us? He doesn't fit in our paradigm. He can't restore Israel like the way we want him to restore it. What we find is that Paul is like Jesus. He's willing to be misunderstood. He's sincere. And he's willing to suffer. And the grace that's being described here is a grace of wholeness, of singleness, singleness of heart. Paul used to we know him as Saul of Tarsus in the early chapters of Acts or Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 9 and we we learn that he's a very fearful man he's a very fearful man and in the gospel he transitions to a man who now is somewhat free from the opinions of people he's not perfect he's not perfect but he's growing in wholeness he doesn't have an angle it's like a salesperson or a, a car salesman and uh, you wonder about their words don't you what's the angle here what's in the small print what am i signing up for we live in a world where words are tossed about and what do you really mean here what's going on jesus was rejected because of a value system from from the world that was pressed in upon him. The Corinthians want to become something. The Corinthians want to become something. They want to build upon some aspect of their own lives. They want to... uh, There's something that they can... uh, build upon they they can assess what's right and what's good and then they can sort of build upon that and paul says no there's nothing to build upon he tells them in 1 corinthians 4 what do you have that you did not receive paul is now free from manipulating people and working an angle and he describes this as his conscience is clean and free. Earthly wisdom says, how can this work for me? How can this gain me an advantage, establish me, or secure me? That earthly wisdom was pressed in upon Jesus. How does this guy fit? How does this work? Who is he? He's just trouble. He, he, he's trouble. We like just the peace and the, the way things are, the status quo, Earthly wisdom says, how can this work for me? Gain me an advantage, establish me, secure me. The grace of the gospel says, I've got a king, and I'm in in a kingdom. I've been fully received. Someone else is working for my good. The weight of my significance and all my striving is being lifted. I'm the sum total of what he says about me, not human assessment. Grace is being contrasted here with earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom is a motivator. It's the energy behind non-Christian thinking. Earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom came to a conclusion about Jesus. Earthly wisdom is working in the Corinthians, coming to a conclusion about the Apostle Paul. Earthly wisdom says we can figure out life apart from this person, meaning Jesus. Now, John's gospel acknowledges that earthly wisdom rejected Jesus. And it presents to us that we're in a pretty desperate situation. We cannot naturally just transition from earthly wisdom to grace. We can't transition to true wisdom without being born again. That's how John puts it. To as many as received him. Well, what happened with those people? To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So when someone receives them, receives Christ, it's an act of the Father bringing the sta- the new status of being born again. If anyone receives him, they are born. It's evidence of being born. So, born again. The, the Corinthians needed an apostle who had a glorious shine about him. And Paul just didn't exhibit that. But Paul is going to use this letter, the entire letter, to say, you know what? You're not going to see in me a shine according to earthly standards, but you're going to see a shine according to grace. And God is shining in me. He's shining in my weaknesses. He's shining in my... Inabilities. He's shining where you may not think he is. Their perceived needs were driving their attitude toward Paul. They wanted a certain understanding of glory or a sense of glory to sort of shine in their church. In our day, what does earthly wisdom look like? Well, Much of this is sort of the quest for for authenticity. People are seeking to find their true selves, express their authentic selves. And this can and does include getting out from under the authority of the church. For some, that can even be a rite of passage. Boy, I was hampered and prevented from being my true self when I was part of that church. And now, free from that authority free from all that, right, that's constraints, now I'm really discovering my true self. You see, our cultural moment, we really embodies earthly wisdom as we prize unlimited choices for our life experiences. So we want to be unrestrained in our choices and pursuits. You can't take that away from me. You can't present to me that I am to conform to some pattern of life, why, I'm free to choose my own way in life, and I am my own authority. In fact, anything that would threaten my own personal autonomy and freedom is seen as really something to be concerned about. Earthly wisdom arrives with an all-consuming vision of reality. This isn't just some little little comment that Paul says, oh, yeah, by the way, you're kind of struggling with this, and, uh, yeah, kind of watch out for it. Earthly wisdom is an all-consuming vision of reality. For instance, Marxism. Marxism is observing class struggle and economics and how, uh, you know, this causes all the problems that there's different classes in society. Marxism is a brutal and murderous wisdom demanding that an ideology must reign supreme. Science, perhaps, another aspect that could be used for good, but also science also is an all-consuming vision of reality. Science, again, folds its arms and with a downward gaze at other world views and says, that doesn't meet our standard. That isn't the essence of what real truth is or real reality is about. In other words, it's an evaluation world, it's a worldview that evaluates and evaluates based on a totality. Earthly wisdom puts self at the center of defining who and what qualifies for admiration, reward, and acknowledgement. There was a time in the church when pastors were trying to figure out how to grow the church. I don't know if this is still going on, but it was happening in the 90s. And they were actually going down to Disneyland or Disney World to get training from Disney executives on how to attract crowds. Well, that's a little bit far from 2 Corinthians. But meaning that, that, you know, obviously, should, can a church advertise? Can a church market? I guess so. But at what point are you just engaging in earthly wisdom? Earthly wisdom refuses the humility of the cross. Of course, this is what Peter expresses in Mark chapter 8 when Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And they respond, Peter responds, you are the Christ. And Jesus describes that he will then go and suffer in Jerusalem. And Peter opposes Christ. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, Satan. For you are opposed to God's purposes. You are opposed, you are resisting the things of God. Human autonomy is aligned with spiritual darkness. Peter had a vision of winning in Jerusalem. Peter had a vision of conquering in in Jerusalem. Peter had a vision of ruling in Jerusalem when Jesus gets there. Jesus' vision was one of suffering so grace compared to earthly wisdom looks foolish and weak grace is embodied the the very life of Christ is embodied in us as this grace is manifested grace is the upward look of the heart Grace refuses to present an impression that's not true. Earthly wisdom looks to the well born, those who have advantages, those who have wealth, those who have a shine or glory going for them. Grace includes the poor, the outcasts, and the underachievers. So how does this all relate to us? Well, first of all, we know that just by looking at 2 Corinthians, we realize that Christians can struggle with earthly wisdom in a very serious and be significant thing. And that our, our framework of looking at people and, and success, our de- definitions of, of how we esteem something or someone, really needs to change. So here's a couple of ideas. Do I sense that being close to someone who struggles makes me look bad? Do I sense that being close to someone who struggles makes me look bad? Another thought. What thought have you carried around with you for a long time that has been recently challenged by Scripture? Meaning, my, my starting point today is this, is that all of us struggle with earthly wisdom in some level or another. And have we been challenged by Scripture recently? Have we ever had our, our way of looking at life completely thrown, thrown off and now we're really examining and discerning? Wait a minute. Am I under the spell of an evaluation structure that's entirely unbiblical? Perhaps you've sensed the impulse to reject someone or to be unloving towards someone And perhaps earthly wisdom is operating. Or maybe just the impulse to fix something in order for your life to be okay. i just got to fix something. And I call upon God just to fix things for my life. So, for the Corinthians, Paul just wasn't a good fix. He just wasn't glorious. He just wasn't what they needed. And what's his answer? Well... Illustration after illustration after illustration of sincerity. What you need is embodied sincerity. Vulnerability, weakness. Yep, at times, I just don't look good. But you know what's in me? The grace of God's functioning and working. So, here we are. You know that you, who believe in Jesus, have been rescued and delivered from earthly wisdom? Do you know you've been delivered from your own evaluation of your own life? Your own standards of your own life about what successful life is. You've been delivered from that. The weight of carrying that around all your life, that you're never enough. Think about that. You're never enough. Well, if you're not a believer here today, that probably weighs heavy on you. You're never enough. Think about it. You don't look enough. You don't have enough. You don't experience enough. Think about the weight that you're going to carry the rest of your life. We who are believers have been lifted from that weight. The weight of impressing people. The weight of having to be something. Think about that. Think about the wisdom that came and didn't look like wisdom at all. It looked like foolishness. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, what God does is he destroys the wise by something that looks foolish, the cross. And so what God gives the world is doesn't give the world advice, doesn't give the world a pep talk. God gives the world a cross and says, Here, I will meet you here. I will be with you here. I will come with you to you here, but you must come with humility and poor and poorness of spirit. Don't bring your achievements. Don't bring your wisdom. Don't bring your assessments of what is good or true or anything. Bring your poverty of spirit. Bring your poorness. And you will receive light, life, and fullness. This is grace. And this is what Paul is modeling, demonstrating before the Corinthians giving up on posing and pretending, right? Posing and pretending. Living in the power and the freedom of the gospel. We struggle to do this, right? We struggle to understand this. We struggle to get, as the women are looking at gospel identity, we struggle with this, figuring this out. We are not perfect in our discovery of all these things, but we, by God's grace, uh, press on. We pray for us. Lord in this moment um, I believe you've met with us. Father, I, I know that just because I'm talking to fellow human beings that we, we just want to rest on something we've accomplished. and accomplishments are, are good, but to rest upon them for everything, is such a weight. So, Lord, thank you for this gospel that potentially can free us and that we can embrace weakness and struggle and hardship and to say, oh, Lord, we are what we are because of the grace of God. You've received us. You've accepted us. We're yours, and you're at work. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are working in us and that your grace is active in us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. We as a church um, enjoy the presence of Jesus, uh, not only throughout the worship service, but we enjoy his presence around a table. And uh, the table is called the Lord's Table, and uh, it is for believers. And uh, we encourage you to come. If you have... Claimed Christ, uh, by all means, come and uh, and partake today. This is not our table as a church or the the Presbyterian uh, Church in America. Uh, come by all means. So let me ask that you, stand, and we will confess.